Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and registered art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Our mission on Am I a Bad Therapist is to normalize and humanize our existence as therapists. You can help us spread this message by subscribing and leaving us a review wherever you are right now, whether that's YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you know the drill. You can also help us by sharing Am I a Bad Therapist with your network, whether it's on social media, your stories, or just between colleagues. Every listener helps us make a difference in this field, and we'll always reshare if you tag us. If you're listening to the podcast, make sure to check out our pretty faces on our YouTube channel. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to head over to our podcast and leave a review. You can find all of our links in the notes below. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. So termination is a very real part of what we do as therapists, right? I'm sure we've all had to go through it at least once, I would imagine, unless you've stayed with your first job. But I don't know many therapists who have done that, but it feels like we don't talk about it enough. Would you agree, Catherine? Well, absolutely. I don't talk about it because I hate it. I hate termination. Yeah. It's my least favorite part. And well, of course, you know, it, it can be celebratory where you terminate with clients who have achieved their uh, therapy goals and they no longer need treatment. That, that I don't hate, right? But this kind of like forced termination where you don't have a choice. You have to terminate for one reason or another, whether it be, you know, cost to treatment or you're moving uh, jobs or locations or, you know, a change of locations for the client. There's a lot of times where termination happens in the middle of work Mm -hmm. um, due to, you know, environmental or life circumstances. And so for me, those are absolutely the hardest to handle as a therapist. Yeah, I agree. It, It is really hard. And it's not necessarily, well, it's not about us, of course, but it's still very valid for us to be feeling this way. It can be really challenging. We don't always know how our clients are going to respond or react. Um, And then planning for aftercare too can be challenging of finding referrals, you know, figuring out if they want to continue with somebody else. I feel like there's just so many pieces. And again, I feel like we kind of talk about it, but when I reflect back on it, I don't feel like it's talked about enough. (laughs) 
No. And the fact that when we as therapists either change locations or change jobs, there's a ton of stuff going on in our personal lives around these, the personal changes. And then we have to terminate with all of our clients. Like, so it, for me, I, I think back to like finishing internship and I was just a hot mess. I was approaching graduation. I was moving. And then I had to terminate with all my clients who I've been working with for two years. Like I, it was just a disaster waiting to happen. Um, but we're going to hear from Liana today about how her worst case scenario and termination happened. Yeah, I know. It's a good story. I think it's important for us to hear about. It's important to keep that conversation going. And we're really excited for you guys to hear her story. And before we do, this is just a friendly reminder that this is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy. All right. Well, this is episode number 11 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Hey, Liana. Welcome to Am I a Bad Therapist? Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to get into your story, Um, a situation that made you wonder, are you a bad therapist? But before we do, can you share a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you're at now? Um, Yeah, tell us about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York. I'm from Long Island. And I started out in addiction agency in an outpatient, which I gained so much amazing experience. And that is one of my specialties is addiction. And I've went into private practice. And then I'm actually in a different group practice uh, now currently as the assistant director. And it's just it's been a great experience, great learning experience, and it's called Gooding Wellness in Cold Spring Harbor, Long Island. So it's like very North Shore. And I specialize in young adults and adults, families, couples. I work uh, in trauma, addiction, like I said, life transitions, eating disorders, body image, and relationships. I always try to like get all of them. I always end up forgetting them. Like, so um, yeah. And I am launching a new podcast called Let's Be Honest. So that podcast is going to be all about answering listeners requested topics and also talking about pop culture and trending topics, but through a mental health lens. So I've been like pre-recording and it's actually going live on August 1st. So I'm like super excited and it just feels really good to be where I'm at. That's Love amazing. it. I, know, I think this episode is um, airing August 8th, I believe. So go listen because it's out now. So go listen to those episodes. And we're so excited to tune in too. And we yeah. will absolutely check the notes because we will put the link to Let's Be Honest below. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Well, let's dive into it then. What is the story that you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, sure. So uh, I shared a little bit how I went into private practice, a different group practice than I'm in now. And it was the first group practice that I was in. And I was also pre-licensed. So I was kind of getting into that world of private practice that we all, some of us strive to be. And through it, I was only there a year because I was feeling very burned out. I mean, it was kind of just like a machine where they would book you like nine sessions in a day. I didn't really have much autonomy. I know. Tell me about it. (laughs) And um, I didn't have much autonomy over who I saw, when I saw them. And that's kind of like what I was going there for. And on top of that, 
the supervision wasn't what I needed and wasn't really the best. Um, it wasn't consistent, especially being pre-licensed. It's, I mean, even fully licensed, it's so important to have supervision. And, you know, I, I look back and I'm like, could I have done things differently? Or I just didn't really have proper guidance, which is really unfortunate. And thankfully, I mean, I was getting really bad migraines for months because of the stress. Yeah. And I was desperately looking for a job, a new one. And thankfully I found one in another agency and I was so thankful and grateful for this new position. But of course the, the part that I don't think any therapist likes is telling your clients that you're leaving. Mm -hmm. I hate it to this day. It makes me feel so bad and I just want to take them all with me. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of times you can't. So that has, that's always a big, like, debacle for me is like, okay. And I think a lot of therapists can relate to this. It's mm -hmm. like, how is every client going to react? You have certain clients that you really worry about, but even though you know, they're going to be in good hands, it's just like, I still think about old clients and I wonder how they're doing. So, you know, with not having good supervision and feeling burnt out, and now I have to tell my clients, yeah. Oh my gosh. So if you don't mind, I'm curious, what was the supervision? Was it like just an hour a week? Um, was it more focusing on like your numbers? Did you have an opportunity to go through your cases? What was that part like to you? Because it sounds like it was lacking. Yeah. So we had an hour of case conference, which I love and where you get together with a group of therapists and you mm -hmm. talk about your cases. And then we would do individual supervision with the head psychologist. And there would be times that he wouldn't show up. He would oh just, I know, he would expect us to meet still, even though I would love to meet with my colleagues, but we're kind of like, well, why are we meeting? And you're not, it's like leading by example a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then the worst part being that he wouldn't show up, therefore we would miss out on individual supervision. And there would be, there was even one experience where he admitted to dozing off like literally, like I was talking about a client and he was like, I'm sorry, I just dozed off. Do you ever feel like that with this client? And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> like, I don't. I'm sorry. Like, don't try to save yourself right now. Um, you know, it was just, and thankfully I had great colleagues working there that I was close with and that we would always bounce things off of each other. So I'm like so grateful for that. Um, so it was just, you know, the attentiveness, the consistency, and that's, it's so important to feel like you're heard and validated. It sounds like the practice fully supported you in filling your caseload and demanding sessions, but the support to be able to do quality clinical work and care for yourself and your clients, like that part was missing. This was a very lopsided um, administration or leadership practice. Yeah. Yes, totally. Like, yeah, if I needed, if I had one more spot open and it was a time that I could eat lunch, nope, it was getting filled up and I just heard about it that morning and I don't even know who this person is. Like, it's just, no, no, like that's a red flag for me. I agree. Oh my gosh. So it sounds like then, so you got a new job and you have to tell your clients. How did you prepare yourself for that? I... Always think ahead of like what I'm going to say. And I always make sure it's ample amount of time, right? Like we always give four, at least four weeks and 
if anything, I like to give them more time because I, I don't know about you guys, but it's like, I can't sit in a session with someone knowing I'm leaving and they're like telling me things. And I just feel like I have this big secret. Mm -hmm. Um, so I always can't wait to tell them. And so I knew what I was going to say just in regards to, you know, appreciating our work together and that like, you know, I'm taking this other step, but you know, we're going to work towards either termination or transferring you to another therapist. And then I always give them room to process. I always give them room to share what they're feeling, what any thoughts. And I'm sure you can guess you get a wide range of reactions. And some people reply with, oh, I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. And you're like, oh, thank God. And then other times it's really hard, which I don't blame them. And then especially, which, you know, I'll get into more if there's someone who struggles with abandonment right? Like Mm -hmm. that comes up a lot. And that always, and you know, you can tell yourself, oh, it's not about you, right? Like you're not responsible for them. This is their stuff and they got to work through this and X, Y, Z, but it's so much easier said than done, especially being in the moment. Um, Because you don't want to feel like you're hurting anyone, even though you know, it's not about you. Um, So it's always, there are some people that you kind of laid on a little bit very light and really attend to their response and yeah let's pause here for a quick ad break are you looking to incorporate more creativity into your clinical practice but don't know where to start as a registered art therapist i truly believe that every clinician can utilize creativity in what they do i absolutely love offering consultation and supervision to share with clinicians how to ethically incorporate therapeutic art making into their clinical practice i focus on easy and simple interventions with very little prep work for you and your clients visit www.cccs.care to learn more by the way the number one support for those of us asking ourselves am i a bad therapist our clinical consultation groups if you don't have one yet join us on the teletherapist network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie. Plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. And now back to the show. Before we get into the juicy clinical implications of of the fallout of your uh, switching of group practices, how, you know, let's talk non-competes for a little bit and how your, your, your existing group practice responded to you saying, hey, I'm leaving, um, and how they supported you or maybe didn't in, in transferring or telling your patients or clients. Yeah. So surprisingly it was, and this is a red flag is that it was kind of like very matter of fact, like, Oh, okay. You're leaving. When's your last day? Okay. Right. Like, and then it's like, you're used to it. Creative. <laughs> right, they're used to it. They're, they're used to the fallout and that's mm-hmm. a red flag. So it was, thankfully it was organized in regards to where my clients were going to go, who I felt like was going to be a good fit. Um, And if they were going to stay or not, right? I just didn't feel like that part was taken care of, but I don't think the attentiveness, the emotional attentiveness, the mental attentiveness, um, supervision aspect was really added into that process. Um, 
they yeah. ever say, you know, don't tell your clients where you're going? Or how is that? Because there's a big discussion around non-competes, and I know that it varies yeah. by jurisdiction. But generally speaking, we can't control where our clients choose to seek treatment, like respecting their autonomy. So I'm wondering, was the client's autonomy addressed from the from the leadership? Or how was that handled? Were you, you know, discouraged from sharing anything? You know, surprisingly, I don't think so. I think they were okay with me sharing. There wasn't anything about not compete. And it's something I've been hearing of more mm-hmm. lately through friends who are clinicians with this non-compete mm-hmm. thing where they can't practice social work in a 25-mile radius, mm-hmm. like for the two years. And I'm like, what? So, um, so thankfully, they were not in- intense about it. Um, they weren't saying that I couldn't. I shared where I was going. And it was it was a different situation because this agency, it's a non-profit and you had to be in a certain location. You had to meet criteria in a certain department. So I knew that not everyone would be able to follow if what, you know, it was a different part of Long Island. So um, but I've had people follow me even to now when I left that agency where I am now, I've had a few people follow me and thankfully that there was no. Um, non-compete because they know, right? I think if you care about the client, because that's why we're in this, hopefully, mm-hmm. you want what's best for the client. You you know, like if one person follows and you lose a few people, if it's what's best for them, mm-hmm. why not? Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. So it sounds like though, there was maybe one situation from all of this closure and termination that stands out. Is that true? What happened next? Yes. You mean with the yes. client? Yes. So I was working with this individual that was one of those people that I was worried about and I was concerned and I didn't receive the proper guidance. There was a lot going on. And I, this whole process, I was trying to refer them to a higher level of care and they were very resistant. And again, if I had the proper supervision, I don't know what else I would have done, but I kept seeing them and I, and I don't think that was the best thing. And so I told them that I was leaving and it was a very blank expression. And so nothing was alert to me that like I needed to damage control, right? So we continue on with the session, all good. And then they come back the next session and they tell me that they tried to harm themselves after the session prior. And in a very like, in a very... I mean, anyway, is terrible, but it was, it was, it was an image in my head. And um, I don't think it hit me in the moment, right? Because I'm just trying to be attentive. I'm not trying to appear like super shocked, right? Like, I don't want to elevate the situation. And then after it happened, I was like, wait, that person just told me they tried to hurt themselves after our last session. Our last session was when I told them I was leaving. This person struggles with abandonment. And I was really like one of the only supports they had. So I, I didn't know how to address it. I also, I I didn't have the guidance of what to say or because I put it two and two together at a later point. And then I of course assessed for suicide ideation. And if this person was going to be at harm to themselves and there was no harm, it was a lot of, um, passive suicidality, um, but there was no harm to this person. And um, it was like the worst case scenario happened. 
And, you know, because you don't, of course, anyone hurting themselves, but then when you feel like it's because of you, it's like so hard not to take it personally. Um, And thankfully at the end, they did send me a, a very nice message of how much they appreciated our work and they were in a good space. And yeah. And I, I just still think about that person and I hope they're okay, but there was a lot going on that I think I had no control over and that I knew the higher level of care was the best fit. Um, unfortunately I just didn't have like the tools to kind of move them along. Um, because then you're also in a rock and a hard place, right? If you say, well, I can't see you anymore. You need a higher level of care. They may or may not follow through with that. And then they're out on the streets, not having any care. So I was, and I I would definitely handle that differently now, but I was very like in a really hard place because I cared about this person. So that's, that is what happened. Wow. So you, you recognize that you're not a bad therapist for moving to a different agency or a group practice that better suits your, your needs and your, your clinical support. But the situation arose where a client then self-harmed after the news was revealed that you're leaving and you knew this client had abandonment issues. And so that's, it wasn't necessarily your change of, of jobs that made you question, am I a bad therapist? It's how it, your changing of jobs impacted the clients, right? And this client in particular. And I think a lot of therapists out there myself included, can absolutely relate to this, whether it be switching of intern positions or practicum site endings, or even I can relate to this when I had a maternity leave coming up and I knew I wasn't going to be able to work with certain patients for certain months. Um, How our self-care and how our own priorities in our life, you know, impact our clients can absolutely make us question our, our efficacy or our quality um, of therapist. So, so you said you might handle it differently. I'm super curious about that because given the tools and the skills that you had at the time, it sounds like you, you managed it in the best way you knew how, and the patient was, you know, eventually you were able to get them transferred to a different, different provider. It sounds like, right. Um, who hopefully was able to serve them in the way they needed, but what would you do differently knowing what you know now? I think I would have forced supervision, right? Like, I think I would have literally called up the supervisor and said, I need to talk to you about this thing just to do my own due diligence. Like, even though, you know, I did my SI assessment, I knew this person was in no harm. It just makes me feel better when you get that validation. Mm -hmm. And I do that still. Um, You know, when it comes to supervision, just having like the, uh uh-huh, yeah, that was exactly right. It just makes me feel so much better. And also like knowing how to handle this, even if it's like, listen, if they're not willing to go to a higher level of care, they can't stay in private therapy. That is harmful, right? Like, and and that has happened in the past in other situations where someone is not open to a higher level of care but keeping them where they're at is really dangerous. So then it's, well, you kind of put your hands up and say like, well, what do I do here? And I think now there's more of a model of meeting them where they're at, but it it is very case by case basis. Um, I think I would have forced supervision. I would have talked about it more. Um, Cause I don't think I even told anyone about it until like recently. Wow. Um, Yeah. Like, I don't know why, I guess it all kind of came together. Maybe like in the last year I talked about it 
And because when I was leaving the agency that I was at to be full-time in private practice, I was telling my friends, like, uh oh, gotta tell my clients, well, this has happened in the past. Thankfully, no one was, I didn't feel like that was gonna happen again. Um, but yeah, I wish I I wish I talked about it more. And I was in therapy at that point. So like, why didn't I talk about yeah. it? Yeah. I was actually gonna ask you that of like if there were any policies in place, um, or how quickly you had supervision or if they were asking you like how did termination go do we have any concerns things like that because I know I've been in agencies in the past where thankfully I've had that opportunity of like anytime there was a crisis like I would just call and I felt like that always worked well for me so it sounds like though that you did not immediately call um did they ask you in supervision as you were leaving how your clients were doing is that something that was discussed I, it doesn't stick out to me. And this was back in maybe 2018. Um, it doesn't stick out to me. I don't think it was really discussed. Mm. Honestly, I didn't even see the supervisor for the last like three weeks before I left. Wow. So yeah, um, it, he was very hard to get a hold of. And seeing the difference where being in an agency, like you said, in the past, it was like every week, okay, how did that person yeah. handle it? Let's talk about it. How, right. And even now in private practice, I get more support mm -hmm. than I have in the past. Um, so it was really just, I just felt like it was all on yeah. me. Well, I mean, this should never, it shouldn't matter if you're licensed or not, but the fact that you were pre-licensed at that time is even more kind of shocking to me at least, because again, it, it shouldn't matter, but you were pre-licensed and they weren't checking in with you about termination. That's, uh, that's very surprising to me. I know. I know. It's kind of just like, Oh, I'm just going to sign off on your mm -hmm. paperwork and call it a day. But yeah, this was, I had a very diverse population and I think there were people that I saw, I definitely wasn't qualified to see or specialize in their issues. And I kept saying to this person, the supervisor, listen, I don't think this is appropriate for this person. I ended up referring a different client out and found them the better, better mm -hmm. care. It's like, I had to take it all in my own hands mm -hmm. when, mm -hmm. what? Yeah. Now I'm also curious, how did you, well, I can say for myself, I, again, like Catherine said, I relate to this so much. Anytime I've had to leave a job, I feel so much guilt. Like you said, it's not about us. But it's there and it's very common, I think. How did you try to deal with that guilt, especially after this situation? Because I feel like I've left jobs where it seemingly seems like smooth-ish transitions and I still had so much guilt. How did you handle that? Yeah, I, I definitely still have guilt to this day. <laughs> like not, not like from past experiences, but like when I left my agency job, it, it never gets, I don't know, kind of gets easier, but it's it always mm -hmm. happens. Um, I just constantly talk about it with people like my clinician friends and my family who knows the situations, especially with that job. I had such bad migraines. I was extremely burnt out. And so I knew I was, I couldn't wait to get mm -hmm. out of there. You know, like I was so excited. So like that made it definitely easier. Um, but I had to talk about it to have that validation of like, no, you're doing the right thing. This is the best thing for you. Um, because I know for me, if I'm not in the best place for my clients, what am mm -hmm. I doing? Like, I'm not going to be helpful to them. I'm not helpful to anyone at mm -hmm. that point. So I know that it was a benefit in the end. So it's a lot of like the reframing of the perspective, the validation from other coworkers and family members. And 
in the end, really doing what's going to be helpful for me. Yeah. Consultation, man. I don't know any time I've ever regretted it. <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's the best. Well, I love it. Is there anything that you would say or what would you say if there was someone listening to this who was going through something similar? Um, you know, if someone's in that transition for their jobs, what advice would you give them? I would say their reaction is out of your control. The only thing you can control is your response and what you say and do. And yeah, just like there are certain things we don't have control over and this is one of them. Um, And that's really it, like separating between those two and just knowing that, and this kind of can apply into multiple areas of life, but you only have control over your response and your actions and not the outcome. So you got to put yourself first. Absolutely. And maybe call super. So Oops, sorry, Catherine. Go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely, call your supervisor. <laughs> I was going to say, call your supervisor too. Until I yeah, up- call your supervisor too. <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Anything else standing out to us, or Liana? Anything else before we wrap up? Um. No, I think that's it. I think it's you know from the overall experience mm-hmm. of being in that practice, be aware of the red flags mm-hmm. and that you don't have to settle for anything less than what you feel like you deserve. And supervision is very important. <laughs> I am so glad that you're talking about this now, given that it's it sounds like it's been years since it happened and you said you didn't talk about it. Does it feel any different now that you are sharing? Yeah, it definitely does. Um because I think it was easy for me to kind of put it in the background because there was so much going on with that person. Um, but it is important for me to like reflect on and know like, okay, that was my worst case scenario, right? Like our anxiety goes to the worst case scenario and knowing like, if I could get through that, I could get through anything else and knowing like that was an extreme case and anything else is like, I, I'm able to go through it. Absolutely. You can handle these, right? And you handled it on your own too. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, Liana, if someone's looking to connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find me at, if you want to book a session with me or any other clinicians that I work with, uh, goodingwellness.com. You can find me on Instagram at Liana Ross LMHC and my podcast, Let's Be Honest Pod. And you can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And that's about it. That's awesome. And as always, we will link all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening, just click on it so you don't have to worry about spelling. We will link everything. And we cannot wait to hear about Let's Be Honest. And we're so excited to listen to that. Yeah. Thank you, guys. This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks Thanks, for coming on today. Of course. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. And are you a bad therapist and want to join us on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. 
You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air For Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air For Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists.